Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of The Buzz with Ben. I know we've taken a long, long break, but we are happy to be back. I am happy to be back and hopefully I will be able to start posting episodes about once a month. So we will cover all the sports that we miss in baseball, some basketball, and some football today. Without any further ado, let's get into this episode of The Buzz with Ben. For our first topic on this Buzz with Ben episode, we are going to talk about the NFL. As most of you probably know by now, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about that because it happened a while ago at this point, but I will just kind of go through some news that's happened since then. The Broncos hired Sean Payton as their head coach, and as a Broncos fan, personally, I'm very happy about this. The fact they had to give up a first-round pick seems like a little much, but overall, he's one of the best coaches in football, and he's actually in the second-best odds to win Coach of the Year this year, which I do not agree with. I do not think the Broncos are going to be good enough for him to win Coach of the Year, but we will see about that. And then also, I wanted to mention something that was interesting. The NFL schedule came out, and the first game of the season is Thursday Night Football on September 7th, the Lions versus the Chiefs. Now, what's interesting about this game is the Lions were the team that people kind of adopted last year. Everyone really liked the Lions, Dan Campbell... That whole team, everyone really liked them. People liked to see how hard the players played for them. Why do you schedule them against the Chiefs' week one first game of the season when everyone's going to be watching? They're favored to lose by seven points, which is probably about right. They're going to lose. It's the Chiefs and Mahomes. But why would you schedule the team that's everyone's fan favorite to lose week one? That just doesn't seem very smart. But I don't know. That is kind of just me and my thoughts on it. And then the other thing is Aaron Rodgers got traded to the New York Jets. Aaron Rodgers on the Jets, realistically, a lot of people think they're going to do very, very well, and I do think that they will have a decent season, but my prediction for their record is going to be 10-7. and They have good receivers, Garrett Wilson, and some of their other newer receivers, but overall, it's the Jets. I mean, I don't think they're going to be outstanding. They'll probably go 9-8, and make the playoffs because Rodgers always seems to do that. And he'll probably have a good season. But I think he will take a step back as at some point what happened to Brady will have to happen to Rodgers and he will have to slow down. For our final NFL topic, we will actually talk about the man, Tom Brady. Tom Brady has recently bought some stake into the Las Vegas Raiders, and with that begs the question, will he come back and play for the Raiders, the team that he owns? Now, whether the fact that this is allowed or not is kind of up in the air, but the one thing that I found interesting is if, let's say he plays for the team. Let's say he gets mad at someone or has a fight with that person. Does that person get traded because he is ownership? How would that really work the way that Brady is, he would probably want to get that person out of there. What if it's a star player? What if Devontae Adams got mad at him? And then they had a fight. Do we trade Devontae Adams because he's ownership, so he gets a say in that? See, that's that's kind of, in my mind, the questions that I would be asking, and I don't really know what the answer would be. I think the answer is for Brady to stay retired and go announce games and just kind of give up football. But, you know, that doesn't seem very Brady-like. So I think he'll probably end up coming back, unfortunately, I might add. And he'll probably be the Raiders quarterback, and I'd be really interested to see if he does own the team, what happens when he has fights with other players. Now on to NBA. We are currently in the NBA Finals. As I'm recording this, the series is tied 1-1 to between the Nuggets and the Heat. I just want to talk about how the Nuggets are a 1 seed and the Heat are an 8 seed and they're meeting in the NBA Finals. That's just pretty crazy to me. 
I mean, the Heat were an eight seed. They lost their first play-in game and then won the second one to barely sneak into the playoffs, and they are in the NBA Finals. I know if you are a sports fan, you've probably heard a lot about that and already heard that conversation, but I just felt like I should bring it up here too. And with the Nuggets, Jokic has just been very good. He was able to overpower LeBron. They're just There's no stopping him. The one question in this series is, will Jokic be stopped? And the only person I could see stopping Jokic is potentially Bam Adebayo for the Heat. He's one of he's an all-defensive player. I don't recall off the top of my head whether he made it this year, but he is an all-defensive caliber player. He's one of the best defensive power forwards in the league. He is guarding Jokic, and with that, will he be able to stop Jokic? If the Heat can find a way to stop Jokic, and Eric Spoelstra is one of the best coaches in the NBA, so if he can find a way to stop Jokic, the Heat will win the series. It's as simple as that. And the other thing I want to mention is the Heat severely underperformed, and they were only nine games worse than the Nuggets. Talent-wise, they're pretty similar. Tyler Hero may end up being able to make a comeback at some point during this finals. I mean, I personally predict the Nuggets to win, even though it's tied 1-1 going into the games at Miami. So I think the Nuggets are going to win. But if the Heat won, I would not be too surprised, too. And I really think that the odds shifted so much towards Denver is probably a little unfair to Miami because Miami is just such a good team and has such great talent. Jimmy Butler has been really, really good this postseason. So I think some of the... Uh, how much of an underdog Miami is is so much of a disservice to them. And now to move on to our final sports topic and sport today, MLB baseball. Now I'm going to start with some news that broke the day I'm recording this. Jacob deGrom is out for the season. He's going to have Tommy John surgery. The interesting thing about that is he's been out most of the season, and when he played, he was not very good. And the Texas Rangers are 19 games above 500 and in first place anyway. So they were expecting to get DeGrom back even after being so good without him. But now the question has to be asked for me, even though the Rangers are the second best team in baseball at this time, will they be good enough without Jacob DeGrom? Dane Dunning has done a great job pitching in his absence, but at some point when your ace is Nathan Avaldi and Martin Perez, I don't think you're going to be able to go too far in a playoff series when you're facing teams like Tampa Bay, New York, and the Astros. I don't think you're going to be able to go that far. So I think the Rangers season may have just gotten ruined for them. But if there's hitters keep raking like Marcus Simeon, Nathaniel Lowe, Adolis Garcia, Corey Seager, Josh Jung, the rookie who's been really, really good and is one of the rookie of the year favorites, I don't know. That team could probably be dangerous if they were able to hold together, but I think at the deadline, they'd need to maybe try to trade for an ace. If Corbin Burns is available, Shane Bieber is on the table because the Guardians haven't been as good. And speaking of Shane Bieber, he was a, he won a Cy Young Award years ago, but he's not been as good this year. Now, don't get me wrong. His ERA is still in the threes, but he has had starts where he just looks terrible. Now, his K rate and his spin rate have been much lower since they banned the sticky stuff that kind of begs the question was he only good because he was using the sticky stuff or cheating now i'm not really going to speculate too far into that but that's just kind of what goes through my head but of course since he is a former Cy Young award winner and he's still in his 20s i think any team that could trade for him would be really lucky now to talk about the al east division because i've kind of talked about a team from each division in the other al divisions the AL East, their worst team as the damn recording this is the Boston Red Sox, and they're 500. In a lot of other divisions, that would actually be contending for first place, and they're 12 games back. 
The Rays have been insane at a 43-19 and 19 record. They have been the best team in baseball. Their pitching staff has had injuries, and they've still managed to pitch really well. Tyler Glasnow is finally coming back. Their offense is putting it together. Josh Lowe has been having a great season. So with all of that in mind, I think the Tampa Bay Rays, even though I never understand how they do it with such a low payroll, they're probably going to be a team that's going to be in it for the long run and probably be a team that will be a one seed or a two seed in the playoffs. And then just to go four and a half games back of them is the Baltimore Orioles who have clearly overperformed. Adley Rutschman has been amazing this season. Their pitching staff has been good. Cedric Mullins has been amazing though he is hurt at the moment. I don't understand how they are 15 games over 500 either but somehow they have been able to pull it off and Baltimore has been really good and then the Yankees are just behind them and them being good makes sense to me. Aaron Judge recently was at Dodger Stadium and he almost ran through the wall. He collided with the wall and the bullpen gate. It kind of broke back and he fell into the stands. Or not the stands, but more of the bullpen area. And he fell into that and ended up actually getting hurt. But it kind of shows how he can be such a great player. He has hit a home run and robbed a home run in the same game at least two times this season. Aaron Aaron Judge is one of the best players in baseball, and I really think that the Yankees re-signing him in the offseason was one of the best things that they could have done. And then just to finish up my AL conversations for today, the Los Angeles Angels and Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani is a free agent after the season, and the Angels have to decide whether they will be trading him or keeping him. Right now, they are one game over 500, but if the season ended today, they would not be in the playoffs. So, because of this, it begs, would they trade him at the deadline? Now, I mean, if they're not going to be good, it would make sense to try to trade him and get something for him, but does their GM want to be the GM that goes down in history for trading one of, if not the best players in MLB history? That's the real question. I mean... Do you want to go down to trading that guy? No, but do you want to lose him for nothing and make your team better? I would think so. You can probably get a team's top three, top four prospects for Shohei Otani. And the other thing about Shohei Otani is he's been an amazing hitter, and he is a great pitcher. But recently, his pitching has not been as good. He's let up four, five, six runs in all of his last few starts, one of which even coming against the terrible 12-50 and 50 Oakland A's. So Shohei might be losing a little something pitching, but I think he just needs to find his mechanics and then he'll be fine. But overall, it kind of begs the question for Shohei, will he be an angel after the trade deadline or will he be onto another team contending for a title? To go on to the National League, the biggest surprise of the season in the National League has so clearly been the Pittsburgh Pirates. As the dam recording this, they are half a game above the Brewers at 32 and 27 in first place. The only real change to their roster is that they added Andrew McCutcheon. And Andrew McCutcheon's had a good season, but he's in his like mid to late 30s. He should not be a difference maker by a lot of games for the Pirates. They are over 500 when they were way under 500 last year. So Honestly, good for them. I hope they continue winning as a Dodger fan because they're a team I'm not overly scared of if they were in the playoffs, but I don't think it'll continue. I think at some point they'll come back down to earth. Mitch Keller will not be a Cy Young Award candidate all year. He's going to end up probably with a high three, low fours ERA. So overall, the Pirates are probably overperforming by a little bit and they will be cooling down at some point would be my prediction. The other team that's been playing really, really well, I don't want to necessarily call it overperforming because I think they could potentially sustain it but one team that's outperformed projections is the Arizona Diamondbacks at 35 and 25. They're tied with the Dodgers for first place in the NL West and really the main reason that I can point to that is their offense their pitching led by Zach Allen and their new rookie outfielder phenom Corbin Carroll. 
Corbin Carroll, to me, when I just look at his stats, when I watch him play, he is really fast and he can hit for power. He has the potential to have 30-30 seasons, 40-40 seasons. He can be really, really good. And on top of that, the Diamondbacks have been so much better since he has come up and joined the team. Zach Gallen is a Cy Young Award candidate, and I think right now the favorite, as he is every season. The Diamondbacks, I think, can sustain this. I don't think they will continue to lead the NL West. I think that will continue with the Dodgers. But I do think the Diamondbacks can maybe sneak into the playoffs as the second or third wildcard team. And if we're staying on the NL West topic, the San Diego Padres have underperformed this season. They are seven games back of the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. They're 28-32, and four games under five hundred. And someone brought this up to me the other day. Should they fire their manager at some point? Bob Melvin is one of the best managers in baseball, but at some point you can't blame the players, and the players are actually playing not too bad, at least their best ones. Their top couple guys, Tatis, Soto, Machado's finally starting to pick it up. Those guys are starting to hit, so at some point you have to question what's wrong with the team. Blake Snell has had some good starts recently. Joe Musgrove has kind of gotten on top of his game a little bit. They signed Gary Sanchez, and somehow Gary Sanchez started hitting, and they're still four games under five hundred. So at some point, if you can't fire the players, you may have to fire the coach. So Bob Melden may be on the hot seat if the Padres don't pick it up and turn it around. And for the NL East, because we haven't talked about that division yet, the Miami Marlins are overperforming at 33-28. and 28. They will cool down. Though Luis Arise is batting 399 as I am recording this, and some people think that he can end up batting 400 at the end of the season. Now, I don't know how sustainable a 399 average is, even for someone like Luis Arise, but someone also brought this up to me the other day. They compared him to Tony Gwynn. In his first 450 game, Luis Arise, his average is one point over Tony Gwynn's in his first 450 games, and his OPS is nine points above Tony Gwynn in both of their first 450 games. So, while I wouldn't make that comparison yet, Luis Arias is definitely playing like him this year, batting 399 with about two home runs. So, Luis Arias is someone to watch if you want to see if someone could potentially hit the 400 club, which has not happened in many, many years. And the Phillies, like the Padres, are underperforming. They actually have the same record this year, but they are starting to hit. Trey Turner hit two home runs in his last game as I am recording this. And Kyle Schwarber is batting 170, but still has 13 home runs, which is a really interesting season because that means he's hitting for pop, but he's not hitting as much. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting when you look at it that way. And Nick Castellanos is starting to figure out Bryce Harper is back. I think the Phillies will end up at least making a playoff push. I don't know if they end up making the playoffs, but they will at least make a push. The New York Mets, I mean, the Mets, they'll, they'll turn it around. They're 30-30. and 30. They'll, they'll end up going on a win streak at some point. Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander are both starting to pitch better. So the Mets will end up being just fine. But the Braves are in first place, and they have been flawless this year. All their players, they've been hitting. St- um, Ronald Acuna Jr. has basically, I don't know if I would compare him necessarily to Ricky Henderson, but I mean, that's probably a good comparison because really when you think about it, Ronald Acuna Jr. has 20-something stolen bases and he has 15 home runs, which is really Ricky Henderson-like. And I don't know. He's really, really good. He is having a great season. People questioned when he'd be back from his injury, would he be the same? And I mean, he's answered those questions. He is. And Spencer Strider has been an ace, and he has been really good. Even in his bad starts, he still strikes out 7, 8, 9, 10. So Spencer Strider is definitely a good ace for that team with Acuna. Their lineup is so deep with Ozzie Albies being the best six hitter in baseball. They're just a really, really good team. 
So I would expect them to continue doing it and probably win their division and get a one or two seed for the NL in the playoffs. And to talk about my final team for today, the Los Angeles Dodgers, my personal favorite team. The Dodgers have been very good this season. They've been 35 and 25. They have been plagued with injuries. Julio Urias is the out. Dustin May is out for a while. But the real people that I want to talk about right now is Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone. Those are two big prospects for the Dodgers, and they were brought up recently. Gavin Stone's been sent, sent back down because he was not pitching well. In his final start, he pitched two innings and let up seven runs to the Tampa Bay Rays. But Bobby Miller has been really, really good. He's made three starts two against really good teams and one against the Nationals, the two good teams being the Braves and the Padres. And with that, he has been able to figure it out and he's really been able to kind of pitch well and hone in on his best statistics. And let me correct myself from earlier. He did not make a start against the Padres. He made a start against the New York Yankees, which he pitched very well. He threw six scoreless innings. Bobby Miller potentially looks like the future for the Dodgers and the can't-miss prospect that they always thought he would be. If Bobby Miller continues to pitch well for the Dodgers, Tony Gonsolin continues to pitch well, Julio Urias and Dustin May can come back. There's always Clayton Kershaw, one of the best Dodger pitchers of all time. So the Dodgers pitching staff can be really, really good. Freddie Freeman recently had a 20-game hit streak that was snapped, but he had it, and he's batting up in the 300s, about 320. Mookie Betts has been hitting for a lot of power this season. Will Smith is batting three over 300 with eight home runs. They've really just had a good good overall season. Max Muncie has kind of found it with 18 home runs. His average is amazing, but it'll get there. J.D. Martinez has nine home runs in his last 14 games, so he's finally started to find it. So... For Dodger fans, if their rookies can start hitting, including James Outman, who's in a slump recently, and Miguel Vargas, they could really, really be a dangerous team. And the last player I'm going to talk about today on this episode of the Buzz with Ben podcast is the A's player, Estevez Ruiz. Now, Mr. Ruiz has been a really good leadoff hitter, and when you make comparisons to Ricky Anderson, his power might not be there, but his stolen bases are. The A's have played just over 60 games, and he has 29 stolen bases. That's just really, that that's crazy. He's stealing about a base every two games. He's one of the fastest players in baseball. He is someone on watch to steal over 50, over 60 bases. So if I were you and I was a baseball fan, I would keep an eye on that as I will be doing for the rest of the season. And that is going to do it for this episode of The Buzz with Ben. I hope you enjoyed this new episode. We will be trying to post once every month, as I stated earlier. And I hope you enjoyed the football, basketball, and baseball takes. Hopefully more will be coming next month. So, as the saying goes, it is nice to be important, but it is more important to be nice. Thank you guys for listening. Bye! Mm -hmm.